0: you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio, I'm Sean Rowley and with me is Derek Specht. This week's show, we're going to start off talking about the environment and how we treat it while we are out paddling and hiking and exploring, and how we should treat it while we're out there. And part of this is Leave No Trace program and principles.
1: So the, uh, Leave No Trace Canada, they took their lead from uh, Leave No Trace the United States, it uh, th- they come up with uh, seven basic principles of uh, leave no trace. How you preserve and protect the backcountry for future generations, and how we preserve and protect what we enjoy when we're out there in the back in the backwoods, out in the water, camping, canoeing, paddling, whatever. So they do. They've come up with uh, or they've developed these seven principles of leave no trace. The leave no trace principles are created to educate outdoor enthusiasts on how to. Reduce their environmental impact within the wilderness. So we're going to uh, we're going to discuss, I guess, the seven principles. It's uh, better than me just reading them off. Nobody enjoys that. So the initial one is uh, plan ahead and prepare. So what does that tell you, Sean?
0: Well, if you're going out, you've got to know where you're going. You got to know the type of environment you're going in. And if you're hitting some place that's environmentally and ec- is of the area is... Sensitive area. Is sensitive. Um, yeah, you want to visit in smaller groups. You know, you don't want 12 people traipsing through the area. You know, go in small groups of four, four, four or five people. You want to repackage your food to minimize the waste. Yes. And what you do take, you want to make sure you're taken out. Um, and when you're using your, your map and compass... You know, when you're you're looking for your places to go, or even GPS, that eliminates things like marking and and flagging tape and 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 that sort of stuff. That's you know you you see it everywhere. And it's, Unfortunately, it's garbage.
1: You do see it a lot. You see people putting blazes on trees, like blazes on trees. That's that's a thing of the past. You shouldn't really be doing that anymore. Like I can see if you're in forestry business or whatever, but if you're in a park somewhere, you don't trim blazes into a tree. That scars the tree for future and could kill the tree. Right. So it's it's just a big no-no, and it's, it's a lot of people frown on it. If people do it nowadays, I think it's out of ignorance. People just don't know, and that's where the education part comes in for leave no trace.
0: Yeah, you've really got to think about the environment when you're out there. Exactly. You know, and I mean, the whole point of leave no trace is to leave no trace exactly. that you've been there. You want to preserve and protect the backcountry
1: or even the front country if you're camping or hiking canoeing doesn't matter you just want to preserve it.
0: Yeah, and I think it it's more than just the backcountry. It's everywhere now. Exactly. You know, I mean we're we're all over the place now doing our exploring and people just getting out there. Yes. You know, doing their paddling and their their hiking and you know even if if they're in the middle of a lake and they hit the small island that's there. Well, that's part of it. Yes. you know I mean and, and you could see that lake front, or that, that island from the shore anywhere in the middle of this big lake which could have a town on it. Mm-hmm. So that that's still you know you got to practice leave no trace there as well.
1: Precisely. Uh, the second principle of leave no trace is travel and camp on durable surfaces. So this here is key in where you are going kind of off the beaten path. if if you're in a set campground, if you're in a uh, on a quarter campground, or even if you're in the backcountry on a campsite, you want to stay within the confines of the campsite where you're going to do may, your main work. Like sure, everybody's going to traipse off and to go hiking into the woods and stuff, but you want to camp and do your physical work within the campsite. You don't want to expand the campsite. You don't want to start chopping down trees. And you want to, if, and they talk about camping on durable surfaces. That's when you do go off the beaten path and there is no designated campsites. You shouldn't be, you know, finding the nice, lush, mossy area to camp in, and killing small flowers and whatnot. You want to find a durable surface that can take and withstand the uh, the use that you're going to put into it.
0: Yeah, try to minimize the impact you, you leave on the land. You know, no cutting down trees so that you can set up your tent. That sort of thing, right?
1: Exactly. Uh, like, good campsites are found, they're not made. So if you find a decent campsite use it but if you say well there's no real place here let's chop down a bunch of trees I've seen this a few times where people have come in and they've just laid waste to an area thinking that or not thinking I ask the word the term is and they just do so much damage and and oftentimes you see it where you come into a known area that you've been to and you see that somebody's been in there throughout the winter and you see all these trees chopped off at about three feet and there's like everything is just cut cut up and and damaged to extreme use i've seen pictures i've been to locations and people just aren't thinking about what they're doing to the the park the environment that they're camping and that they're trying to enjoy
0: yeah i go so far as i mean i bring a a -A thermarest air mattress the you know the little portable things there uh when i do my backcountry camping so i have no problems camping on rock
1: yeah, well, you know you exactly. got that,
0: that air mattress to to give you that comfort level, right? Exactly. And uh, yeah, so you're you're not having to destroy.
1: I've gotten myself a nice huge big Agnes uh, air mattress. These this thing is like three or four inches thick, and it's it's great. You can you can sleep on roots and stuff. And in the past, you just like you get uncomfortable as a root. And I've seen people do this. There's a campsite, a designated campsite. There might be a root there, so they chop up the root they expect rain so they cut huge trenches in the forest floor to run water away from their tent site why not just find a tent site that's ideal for water runoff instead of finding a low spot and and trenching it so the water doesn't collect it's it's some people just don't think of it, for, unfortunately
0: yeah and the i don't think the education is is there as much as it used to be Absolutely not. on on that sort of thing
1: yeah it's uh, what what we have now is there's there's a resurgence of interest in, in, uh, camping and backcountry camping. And I'm starting to see more and more inexperienced people going into backcountry areas or going out on day trips because it's the, the whole survivalist thing on TV and, and, and whatnot. You see a lot more people finding an interest. So they're getting out there without the education. And I'm doing this with, you know, 30, 40 years of experience in c- camping and backwoods and whatever, right? And but now you've got this new wave of people who, because of what they're seeing on TV, they're they want to experience this thing now. But they're just doing so much damage, and they, it, it we all have to get together to make sure that other people and the new people are more educated in how they treat and care for the back the backcountry.
0: Yeah, and the when you go go into the uh, aspect of the survivalist stuff. Like there's a lot of I've I've seen the postings from people saying, you know what, I went out and tried this this camping with no gear and I built my own shelter and all that. And they're cutting down trees and building lean tos yes. and Yeah. I, I don't know. You know what? It's it's one thing to learn to do the survival stuff like that, but when you're way back there, there there's really no no reason for it.
1: Yeah, in like a decade ago you'd have one or two people doing this kind of thing. So the impact was minimal but now you've got dozens of people saying oh i can do that i can be the next last Stroud or or bear grills and i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna they lay they lay waste to the uh, the you know backwoods areas yeah uh another leave no leave no trace principle is uh, disposing of waste properly and this is another thing that you often see a little bit too much you you go along a trail. You go along into into campgrounds and in areas, and you see people. You know they they've broken their lawn chair or something. And they leave it on the trail sides. So I I don't know how many times I've found lost socks and zip ties and whatnot. It's if you pack it in, you have to pack it out.
0: Yeah, any garbage. Uh, they I I've been to um, like through Georgian Bay on the coast of Georgian Bay, and seeing garbage everywhere. I've been on canoe trips and seen socks, potatoes, uh, shirts, um, granola bar wrappers, all that stuff, all left on the trails and floating in the lakes. You gotta pack that stuff out. If you're if you're manly man enough to bring it in, <laughs> then you know what, pack yes, it out. Exactly. You know, like that's just it, it gets it just ruins it for everybody. It really it it puts more more emphasis on, well, let's start punishing people and let's restrict areas. And, you know, so it hurts everybody. It does.
1: It brings in too many regulations. And, and, and that's where m- one of the areas that I'm most familiar with is Algonquin Park in Ontario. And they've there's all these rules about uh, no bottles, no cans, stuff like that. And it's, the rules are there because people weren't taking care of the backcountry you'd be finding beer bottles on portages you'd find tuna cans in campsites and fireplaces so they it, it was happening too much and so Algonquin Park they had to institute rules about what you can bring into the backcountry and they now inspect packs they inspect your your uh, your backpacks and your canoes before you enter sometimes to see that you're not carrying these things in and it's just it there's so many things that people do about not disposing of waste. Like All too often, even human waste. People don't go in, if you're in an area where there's uh, what I know is thunder boxes or you know, outhouses or whatever in the back country and some of these built up camping areas, use the, the facilities. All too often, <laughs> I see around a campsite, you just go a little bit into the woods and you find toilet paper flowers everywhere people for some reason find it too gross to use a thunder box and they go off into the bush and then you see human waste right on the side of the trail and you see toilet paper laying everywhere it's disgusting it brings in animal elements who are starting to look at these as potential sources or whatever for food and it's really disgusting and really gross you know there's, there's there's if there's no actual facility for human waste What you should be doing is digging a cat hole. You dig it about 15 or 20 centimeters deep. You'd have to do it 70 meters away from water, away from camp, away from trails. And then you discover it, disguise it with, with bury the dirt back on top, put a rock on top, put a stick on top to mark it so that other people don't walk in it.
0: Well, when I first, when I first heard about uh, Leave No Trace and they were saying dispose of waste Mm -hmm. and you know, you should be packing your waste out. I'm thinking, what? (laughs) <laughs> I had the same if, thought. If I if I'm on a three week canoe trip, I'm sorry, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah there's just some things ain't coming out with me. Yeah, there's that's a big ziploc bag of number
1: twos. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, no, that,
0: that's that's going a, a bit much. Uh, but you know what? With the I you mentioned like bringing the beer bottles and stuff in, and that. Just aside from the leave no trace, I've been on trips where people get a few portages in, and you meet them on the portage, and they're getting tired of carrying these two, four beers. Exactly. So they're chugging a couple of beers on the end of each portage to get rid of yeah. the beer, and, and by the end walls. of the day, end of the day, they're not too sober anymore, and they're out there paddling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that I mean that's a whole another issue.
1: Well, it's also I. It's fortunate it's never happened to me, but I've heard stories of people at portages where they're walking the canoe up to the portage or getting the canoe and leaving, where people have, have uh, thrown a bottle and it's broken and they cut their feet. And the last thing you want to do is on like day one or two of a seven-day trip and you cut your foot wide open on a beer bottle at a portage.
0: Yeah. It's just
1: unnecessary. And it that's, really people are lazy. They, they don't know how to treat the backcountry and they cause a hazard to the environment, to animals and to other people.
0: Well, and again, that's when everybody gets penalized for it. And exactly. You can't bring in...
1: Everybody gets smacked with the same paddle. Yep. Uh, moving on, uh, another, uh, the fourth uh, principle of Dino Trace is leave what you find. And this is also an important principle. It has to do with people that come behind you can enjoy the same things that you enjoyed when you're out either on a day paddle or out on a long trip. It doesn't matter. So this is about preserving the past. So is you're either preserving the past or preserving the environment. If you find an an old settlement, or you find uh, an anchor somewhere, or you find some historical artifact... Tent rings. Yes, tent rings or, or iron rings for when they did the log drives or anything. Sure, take a look at it, take pictures. Don't touch it. Don't pull it out of the ground don't take it home with you. These things could potentially have cultural or historical significance. These artifacts could be important. And yes, you, they're staying there. They're going to erode with time and eventually disappear. But it's not our business to removing be removing these things from the backcountry. Now, this is different from if you find a beer can in the backcountry, by all means, pick Move that it. artifact up and take it home. But if it's a historical or cultural artifact, uh, Indian burial ground, whatever, just leave it there and leave it for other people to come and find and discover and enjoy it. And that also, even if it comes to just natural environmental items like rocks and plants, you don't go out and start picking all the plants and moving all the rocks. It's leave the environment as you find it.
0: Yeah, and one one with me is that they they mentioned in this area is avoid introducing and transporting non-native species. Yes, Now, enjoying fishing as much as I do, um, you know, introducing, dumping, dumping your minnows out. Yes. Introducing non-native species to lakes and they end up destroying the fish habitats or the fish that, that were already there, the populations that were already there. Um, again, that, that's leave no trace. Yes. You know, and you don't want, you, you shouldn't be doing that sort of thing.
1: And one thing a lot of people don't think about, and somebody mentioned this to me a few years ago and I, before I'd heard it, I thought, oh, I never thought of that. Within the the Great Lakes area, it's contaminated with zebra mussels, and zebra mussel spores. If you use your canoe, your your kayak or whatever, in the Great Lakes, and whatever bilge water you have in your canoe or kayak, if you take that, those spores can live a long time. And if you transport your canoe into a backcountry area, you could be spreading zebra mussels. And that's the last thing we want to do, is spread zebra mussels to pristine lakes up north. It's the last thing we want to do.
0: Yeah, that's been a, a, a serious issue for a while. And yeah, I, I when I first heard that, I'm, I was kind of skeptical on that one. But no, apparently that's... It is. And what it yeah. is, it's,
1: it's, it's water or zebra mussel spores. They're going to die over a week or two. But if you do try out your canoe and then head straight up north, you could actually transport these things. Or if it's a kayak, you can have water that sits in a kayak, if it's a lighter color kayak, those zebra mussel spores will live for a considerable time. And like, I'm not sure if you need to go to the great lengths of like hosing down your, uh, your watercraft with Javex or bleach or whatever, but you should consider about timelines. Don't travel within a certain amount of time from the Great Lake, putting something in the Great Lakes and then going up to a pristine lake up North. Uh, so moving on to the next principle so minimize campfire impacts this is this is pretty important too it's all these things are important and you can once you start reading these leave no trace principles you're going to see and a lot of people don't really think about it or or they're not educated enough if you are going to a designated campsite and maybe you don't like the view from your campfire or you see that there's a lot of ash in the campfire that's existing there maybe a ranger hadn't been in to empty out the ashes in a while or sweep up the area like i know they do that in algonquin park or if it's a remote area maybe it's starting to get overgrown don't move the campsite don't move the campfire the uh the campfires that are existing have already burnt out any roots or undergrowth that lie under the campfire if you move the campfire you could potentially cause the roots and undergrowth that and anything that's under the surface to burn through. And I've seen it happen in Algonquin Park. Somebody's left a campsite. They've properly put out the fire, but the root and undergrowth have burned and moved outside of the, because they moved the fire pit in the first place. So the fire has moved out of the campfire area and it's caused a, uh, it burnt up an island in Algonquin Park on Tom Thompson Lake, I think it was. That was about eight years ago, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, this, out of all the principles of leave no trace, this is the one I have the hardest problem with just because I love a good campfire. Yeah. I love, I cook over the campfire and all this. And part of the the leave no trace aspect of this is that you don't always need a fire for cooking. Bring your, your little portable stove. You know, you got the lightweight stoves, which we all have, um, when we go on backcountry trips, because if you're hitting bad weather, you're not starting a fire and cooking Mm -hmm. and you want something quick. You know, I'm saying within the mornings, if you're if you're if it's a travel day, you want something quick that you can just start up, boil some water, pack away, and you're gone and move on. Yes, but there's nothing like sitting there with it with a campfire. You know, oh, I agree. But again, it's you're not cutting down trees, <clears throat> you're not you know busting up branches that are you know five feet off the ground. You pick up as much as you can from the ground, deadfall, and use that. And yeah, you keep your fire smaller; it doesn't need to be a six foot high bonfire, but um, yeah, this is the <laughs> this is the one that uh, that I really have the hardest time with out of all the principles because I just love to sit around a fire.
1: Yes, but it's it, the principle it doesn't state you can't have a fire. It's it talks about you don't move the firing. You don't yeah. find a new new location. And it talks about burning out all the wood. Don't don't light it don't light a big fire and then leave the logs half burned because they might re-catch. And it's it's not about, it's not saying don't have a campfire. Oh, no, no. I know it's, it's doesn't just saying control your campfire.
0: Yeah. And it, it, they do also say to limit, you know, if you don't need to have one. Yeah. Use your stoves. Yeah. But like I say, I prefer cooking over the fire than as opposed to cooking
1: over a stove. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And when I'm out with my family, it's nice to sit around the fire and stare at the fire and have a conversation. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you're just sitting there in the dark, you... You might as well just go to bed type thing,
0: right? I just make faces at people because they can't see me if they're in the dark. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> and another thing to note too is uh, if you're going to like a drive-in campsite, there's a lot of very valid rules about carrying wood in from outside the area.
0: and With the emerald ash borer exactly. and all that stuff now, yeah. This is
1: about transporting insects and bugs and parasites that are not native to the area or have not been spread. Emerald Ash borer ash borer is uh, is spreading more and more and if you take the wrong wood into the wrong area you're gonna cause the spread and then it, it's it just causes more an impact on the backcountry. So buy your wood local to the campsite. Sure it's gonna be a little bit more expensive, but it, it's it's a lot, you know, a lot of people don't really think about that. It's it's not that much more for wood. No, not at all uh moving on the uh sixth principle is respecting wildlife
0: and that's the easiest one to do it is it is and the smartest
1: <laughs> yeah so it, it talks about you know observing from distance don't try and chase or or follow or you know do whatever yeah you, I've, I've you've seen if you pay attention to anything with camping if you're into camping you've seen the stories about uh, guys over the past couple years who have come across a moose crossing a lake or a river and they paddle up and they ride the moose uh, what are they thinking what are you doing that causes so much stress on an animal it's the wrong thing to do and again it's not educated it's uh, idiots doing the wrong thing it do just respect the wildlife in the back country in the front country respect it. Don't be like, oh, if you're in a driving campground and you find the squirrel or the chipmunk cute, so you're going to start feeding it. That treats the squirrel or chipmunk the wrong habits, and then it relies on human presence, and they forget or they unlearn how to survive on their own. And that's with anything. Like, if, if you keep a clean campsite, you don't feed the animals, you're not going to draw in the bears, the raccoons, and causing the damage. I've, uh, you know, even with mice and stuff, the more mice get habituated to uh, food around the campsite, the more that they're going to be expecting it. And then they're going to be start chewing into people's backpacks and food packs, right? It's, it's just causes damage all the way around.
0: Yeah. And if you're leaving food around a campsite or around a little picnic area, or you stop for a shore lunch and you leave food, and it, it's a place where a lot of people stop and, and everybody's leaving the food bits, then the animals are just going to hang around. You know, they're just waiting for the next person to show up with a little bit of a snack or leave a little bit of food crumbs and stuff. And and they're getting away from being natural animals at that point.
1: Yeah. And when they become naturalized to humans, they become a pest to humans. So instead of you going out and seeing a gray jay or something fly by, you see the, the animals off in the forest and you're enjoying it, suddenly they're at your campsite. Expecting food, begging for food, so you're being chased by squirrels. You're you're the gray jays are landing on you and and bugging you and and then there they become a hazard, and it, this is especially important when it comes to black bears in the backcountry. Black bears get habituated very quickly and very easily when they get they find the easy food at a campsite, easy food at a dumpster when people are not disposing of their waste properly. If you're just throwing your excess food in the fire pit and leaving your campsite, you're setting up the next camper that they could be exposed to wildlife, to black bears and whatever. As they forge, they learn that humans are a source of food and you don't want them thinking that humans are food.
0: Right. The other uh, thing about avoiding wildlife is during the sensitive times, um, like mating, nesting, raising their young periods, everybody loves to get that shot of a you know a loon and and its chicks and exactly. the moose and her young and all that sort of stuff, but you got to keep away. Yes, you know that that stresses out everybody. Um, you know uh, if you come across a, a mother moose and her her young at the side of a, a river or something, stay away. See it from a it, yes, distance. Don't you don't approach. need to get up up close.
1: And it's dangerous to approach a moose with a with a young one.
0: Yeah, very dangerous. Um, and with loons, if you see a loon on a nest, stay away because if she leaves that nest, they may not go back to the nest. They
1: could abandon the nest, or you could end up having that loon try and draw you away from her nest and exposes her nest to predators. So there could be a weasel, there could be anything that comes up and it's like, oh the loon's gone, it's gonna eat those eggs, right? And especially don't touch the nest, because that will make the loon abandon the nest. Uh, The final point of, uh, the final principle for Leave No Trace is be considerate of other visitors. And this is about respecting other visitors and protecting anybody that comes behind you with the quality of their experience. And it, it talks about being courteous to them. Don't bulldoze your way through a portage thinking that you have the right of way. Just be courteous. You want people to be courteous to you, be courteous to them. And if somebody is coming up a hill... Just let them come up the hill, step aside. It's easier for you to come down a hill and they're working hard to get up that hill. So just be kind, be courteous, step aside, let them work their way through.
0: It's just general manners and respect. Exactly. And, you know, if you're kayaking and, you know, out on a big lake or body of water and, you know, you need a break and you come to a nice calm bay and there's already people there, you don't need to camp. Right there, you know, exactly. pull up right next to them. Yes. You know, give them some distance. You're, you guys are there to enjoy your day. They're there to there, enjoy their day, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't need to be Scream at the top of your lungs and hooting and hollering. Yeah, have a good time, but respect the other people that are there as well. Exactly.
1: No, don't bring fireworks into the backcountry. Don't be, you know, singing loudly or screaming and yelling. And and it's just being courteous to the people around you. You want to enjoy your time. The last thing you need is somebody ruining your time, and you don't want to be ruining somebody else's time in the backcountry. They're there to relax, unwind, enjoy the backcountry, enjoy their camping, their day trip or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's all about getting out there and enjoying yourself while you're hiking and 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 paddling and, and canoe tripping, camping, the whole deal. Now, those are the principles of Leave No Trace, and there are a lot of organizations that will you know you can read up more on the internet, and you can they'll teach you stuff what you need to know, and if you got questions and. Um, and Leave No Trace is not a new thing, is it? No, Leave No Trace. Um, what they say it was back in the '60s? Um, yeah, like created by the what the USDA um, Forest Services. Uh, yeah, for 40, 50, yeah, fifty-six years ago now. Yeah, the 60s? a long time ago. Yeah. And so these they've created these principles
1: in a form roughly like what it is now, and we we're we're familiar with Leave No Trace Canada which have taken Leave No Trace and developed something very similar to what other countries. There's about a dozen or so countries that work on the Leave No Trace principle. And it's just because, you know, the massive ex- population explosion, you want to preserve the, the parks. And it's, it's all about maintaining, preserving for future generations. So if you go to lnt.ca for Leave No Trace Canada, you'll find Canada's take on Leave No Trace.
0: Yeah, and if the other one is lnt.org, and that's more broad, more along the lines of the U.S. Um, site. And yeah, they, they talk about joining and about it and learning, getting involved, teaching. Um, you can buy stuff that promotes it. Um, and again, they talk about the, the seven principles and a lot more. But it, at the end of the day, leave no trace. It just builds awareness and appreciation and respect for, for all our wild lands, be it land, water, island, uh, everything, you know, you gotta, you gotta go out there, take care of it. And if you can make it that no one even knows you were there, then that's just so much better.
1: Yeah. I guess basically the message we're trying to get across is if you use the back country, if you use the front country, if you're a day tripper or a paddler, if you're a stand up board user, it's, preserving and protecting the environment around you so you can continue it, to use it and your children continue to use it enjoy it and others around you continue to use it and enjoy it it's all about education we're just asking you to educate yourself so that we can preserve and protect the natural environment
0: you are listening to paddling adventures radio on reno viola outdoors do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand if so this shows for you Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Now, it used to be all about the canoeing. And then the craze started with kayaking. And then last few years, it's been stand-up paddleboarding. That's all the the rage. If you're not into paddling, everybody's getting back to nature, getting back to their roots, and they're meditating and all that. And I know some people that are into yoga. So somewhere along the line, somebody decided paddleboarding and yoga. (laughs) I can't believe we're going to be talking about yoga. (laughs) And that's apparently... (laughs) A new ba- it is it's it apparently it's catching on.
1: Yes, I was actually surprised. I, I when you, when you mentioned that we should be talking about this, I I took a quick look online. I looked at some YouTube videos, and I was actually very surprised at how widespread and popular it is. It doesn't matter what resort you go to if it involves water. There's going to be some method of paddle stand up paddleboard yoga.
0: Now, I mean, my sister-in-law, she does yoga and she's, you know, we've been fa- family functions and just lazing around in front of the TV or whatever and talks about, you know, everybody's going to the gym and she's doing this yoga thing and trying this downward dog and this, what, put one leg behind your, <laughs> your head and the other leg up your butt or something like that. I, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I don't really have... Uh, I really don't have an opinion on on whether it's I've done good yoga or a couple of times,
1: and uh, like usually it's when me and my wife are I've gone on vacation somewhere at whatever resort. it's, well, uh, we don't need to hear about that, buddy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's not yoga. No,
1: but most resorts, they do put on uh, free classes of yoga, right? So it's like, yeah, well, i'll I'll try it out. And it, it I can see where it would be beneficial. It's just never been my thing. And I've also heard of hot yoga where you're in a room and just sweat your ass off. And the
0: the gyms are big on that. Yeah, they you have a basically do yoga in a sauna. Yeah, yeah, because you know that's yeah. That,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it was I found it interesting the uh, stand up paddleboard yoga. It's uh, some of the positions like uh, like I said I have done yoga before probably only about a half dozen times. So by far, I'm not an expert.
0: Oh, that uh, outweighs my by about six times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I went through and looked at some of the uh, common positions and some of the, I found a list of about 10 or so that seemed to be common or popular. And it it really, what it comes down to is uh, you're testing core muscles that you're not used to testing because you're very focused on balance. And so you're on a paddleboard on the water and there's one that's called warrior two pose and your feet are in line with the center line of the paddleboard and you're in a pose. And so you're relying a lot of muscles that you're not used to using on solid ground. So it gives a lot more different muscles a workout.
0: Well, and you're on water too, right? And the water underneath your your boards, it's firm, but the water underneath is is fluid, no pun intended. Exactly. But yes, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're wavy around a bit. And I, I, I guess there's a niche for it for everybody, you know, out there. So, but uh, yeah, there's some pretty neat looking, looking um, poses and that that they're doing. And it's just out and it's not in, in your basement. It's not in front of the TV. It's not in a gym somewhere. It's out under the. Under the well, sky, now, the...
1: The, some gyms do it now. If you if there's a if there's a public pool, I I was looking online and there's a couple places locally that in the local pools they do yoga sessions, stand up paddleboard yoga sessions. Like here in Clarington they do it, and uh, it's interesting to see these different poses. Like there's there's I've seen pictures and videos of people doing handstands, yoga handstands or headstands on a paddleboard. It's like I, I'd be getting wet for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, I just fell in again, but it, uh, they do, it does serve a purpose. A lot of people are interested. It is becoming very popular.
0: Yeah. It, it really seems to be, I mean, they, over the last, I guess last year, I've, I've seen a lot of places and if you're going to resorts, like you say, now there are people are offering not only the paddle board, but you can go out in a group mm-hmm. and you'll do yoga and all this stuff on the paddleboards. And, um, it, it just seems weird. So, to get away from just the paddle boards, there are places like on Georgian Bay, you can do yoga and kayaking trips.
1: So, are you talking paddleboard yoga or are you talking kayaking and then yoga
0: on the beach? Uh, by the sounds of it, it's kayaking and then yoga on the beach. Huh. So, apparently paddling and yoga go hand in hand i was not aware of this it
1: sounds like we're getting into a new age granola crunching thing here
0: (laughs) excuse me while i go hug a tree (laughs) now
1: i guess we're being a little bit making fun of negative but you know a lot of people do find these things popular so but
0: of course i like making fun of these things too well yeah you know no you know what it's just it boggles mind what people are They're becoming quite creative. Exactly. I mean, yes. I mean, when we get into our canoe tripping, it's just, if you want to get into it's yeah, we all jump in our our canoe with our gear and we paddle and portage, paddle and portage, camp, paddle and portage, portage, and camp. It's the same old, same (laughs) old. If you jump on the paddleboard, it's paddle, 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 paddle while you're standing and that's it. Kayaking, you know, same sort of deal. But these guys are getting creative. They're using the paddleboard for something more than just paddling. Exactly you know and for me that's that's sort of the the neat thing about it i mean like i say i'm not into the yoga or anything like that but just seeing what people are doing with with their their crafts and combining it with other you know, relaxation things and whatnot.
1: Well, it almost does make a make sense as a natural transition. You think about doing yoga in a, in a gym, you're, you're face down on a stinky yoga mat and you're side to side with a bunch of stinky people and you hear the echoes off the wall of people calling out and humming out positions and this, that, the other thing. Or you could go out in a serene, quiet surrounding with loons in the background and the lapping of water and you do your yoga on a paddleboard. It, it actually does kind of sound interesting. Um,
0: well, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can take your, your snacks and, you know, you can, after you're done your yoga, you can go for a nice paddle around and, and whatnot and have a little lunch somewhere and do some more yoga if you want. And it's another thing you know, to
1: get people out on the water and
0: enjoy the environment. That's a big deal is getting them out on the water. And if you throw in something like that, then people start to exactly to think, yeah, you know what, this could be for me as well. And not just. Now, looking at this kayaking uh, thing, um, yeah, they're telling everybody that you, you, when you go on your kayaking trip, they start like from Killarney and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it's, you go kayaking and then you set up somewhere on the rocks, a nice peaceful setting and you do some yoga stuff and some relaxation and some meditating and all that sort of, um, I don't New, age, new stuff. age stuff. yeah. <laughs> granola you know, crunching new age granola stuff. Granola <laughs> crunching, tree hugging sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And you know what? People are, is catching on. I don't know. I want to say it's like a new age hippie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? Not, not being, not making fun of or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, back in the day they used to, you know, in the 70s and, you know, free love and all that, but everybody's starting to get out there and they're, and they're taking some of this stuff that's been around and mm-hmm. and adding it being creative with it. Now if, it's it's like yeah, new age hippies. <laughs> They're getting out there and now if we have
1: anybody out there that uh that enjoys stand up paddleboarding and enjoys stand up paddleboarding yoga, we'd like to hear from it. So if you could go to our website and send us an email and Tell us about it and tell us, you know, are we far off the notch or are we uh, hitting the nail on the head about the uh, new age granola crunchers? (laughs) 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 And if you find that we're off the ball and and you find this offensive, let us know because we'd really like to learn more about this because uh, it's, I find it interesting. It's, uh, I have no doubt that my wife will get me out doing this at some point in the future. It's not something I would do on my own. But uh, I'd really like to hear from somebody on this. So send us, drop us a line if you're listening to this and tell us what your experience are.
0: Yeah, I'd be very interested to, to hear. Um, there's lots of places offering it now and it's, I think it's just going to pick up speed and you're going to see all this stuff. And I mean, you get the paddleboard, yoga, what, what's next?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. I mean, there's, there's tons of stuff out there, but it, it's my big thing is it's creative and it's just expanding the sports. So, yeah, send us a line and uh, let us know what you think and what you guys do. And, and, you know, are we on the ball with this or not? You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. Now with spring in full swing, especially in Southern Ontario, uh, starting to look at destinations a bit farther from home. Um, one of the things I've looked at is Georgian Bay, right off of Lake Huron, you got Georgian Bay. And it's not just one little portion of Georgian Bay that's paddle-ble. paddleable. Paddleable. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I say that 10 times real fast. Um, and it is an area that is good for all types of paddle sports. You got your canoeing, your kayaking, and your stand up paddle boarding.
1: And we're talking from experience to for people new to any sport.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anybody can, can get into it here. Um, there are a lot, especially with the kayaking, if you're really into exploring this area is definitely for you.
1: It's loaded with river travel, island hopping. It's a really great area to go to. One thing to keep in mind though with Georgian Bay, because of the size of Georgian Bay, storms can blow up and get severe pretty quickly. So you have to be careful. You have to be watching the weather.
0: Yeah, you can get windbound, and the waves get up pretty big at times. But uh, you know what? In the summer when it's nice, gorgeous day out there and the water's just crystal clear, there's just unlimited. Now, if you go, I just want to talk about a few of the the spots on Georgian Bay. If you go up the Bruce Peninsula, which is the southwest side um, of Georgian Bay, if you go up right to the end of the the Bruce Peninsula, to Tobermory and Lion's Head's up that way, and you can get into the Bruce Peninsula Peninsula National Park. um, There's lots, lots to see up there. You can, especially in... Uh, around Tobamori and Lion's Heads. If you come down the coast, there's tons of coves and inlets uh, just exploring nonstop the rocky shores. And there's the cliffs, the high cliffs. Uh, you also have, the uh, way at the tip of the peninsula, um, the islands that are in the Fathom Five National Marine Park. And there's a lot of people going up there kayaking now. Um, you yeah. can see, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of scuba diving and stuff. up Exactly. There well, I was just right? going to
1: say that there's a lot, it's very popular for scuba diving. There's a lot of grottos are a lot of nice areas for scuba diving in the area. Plus paddle sports, you can do boat tours, paddle tours. There's all kinds of stuff in that area.
0: And one of the islands, the flower pot Island actually has, uh, six campsites where you can camp. Right on Flower Point. Right on Flower Point Island. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. So that's that's definitely if you want you you've only got one destination to go, there's so much to see up at the uh, the tip of the Bruce Peninsula. That that's that's a definite spot to check out.
1: If you're uh, imagine anybody listening to this right now, if you're probably on a computer, I would suggest going to uh, going to Google Maps right now if you haven't already done that, and just pull up the the map there. It'll help you follow along as we uh, discuss the the area for tripping and whatnot. It's uh, so it's so just off of Lake Huron in central Ontario, and it's Georgian Bay off Lake Huron.
0: Yeah, we were always told Lake Huron looks like a trapper. And Georgian Bay is the backpack.
1: I've never heard that one. Yeah, that's how we,
0: you know, Superior's the wolf. Um, he, he runs the trapper. Uh, see so, now, I got to pull up a map and look at yeah, this. Yeah, Michigan's an eggplant. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I didn't make them. I just repeat what I was taught.
1: Oh yeah, it is like an eggplant.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. See, now you know. But Georgian Bay. <laughs> yes, Georgian Bay. <laughs> Okay,
1: so uh, I'm going to start out with some river travel trips. So I'm going to do three of them. So it's uh, the Beaver River, the Nottawasauga River, and the French River. All are very decent river travel trips. Uh, The the Beaver River, which is located... uh, It's just up the coastline northwest of Collingwood and the Blue Mountains. So it's between Owen Sound and Collingwood. So the Beaver River, it's... uh, it's a great place for beginners. Uh, it's obviously it's named. Its name's appropriate. There's a lot of beavers in the area. You're going to find a lot of beaver dams and, and beaver hutches and huts. The uh, This is an old transportation route during the 19th centuries. And uh, there's three basic sections on the Beaver River, which feature there's it's rugged. There's a lot of scenery, a lot of wildlife. Uh, you know, there's animals like blue heron, great horned owl, white tailed deer. You're going to see a lot of animals on this route. It's a very... It's a very uh, riparian wild area, and it's it's a decent nice area for beginners. It, there's not much exposure or risk, and it's a it's a nice place to get around and, and get into and look into. Uh, the second location that I'm going to talk about is the Nottawasaga River. The Nottawasaga is the Natawasa ends at Wasaga Beach, not Wasaga. So it uh, it's a very long section of river, but what we're going to discuss is the lower section between Edenville and Wasaga Beach. So this section, it's about 23 or so kilometers. This the the area of interest. This is an old uh, vital transportation route. It's centuries old. There was a lot of uh, trapping and commerce and whatnot on this section of river. It was very very popular back in the day for for transportation. It, uh, it ends, like I said earlier, it ends at Wasaga Beach. There's a few highlights. There's uh, a nice lake, Jack's Lake. There's a, a few popular fishing spots. And there's a series of small, easy-navigated uh, rapids. So there's nothing high-risk or anything. It's, uh, again, a nice beginner's area. And uh, there's a lot of sand dunes. There's a lot, It's one of the largest groupings of parabolic sand dunes in the province of Ontario. So that's a nice, interesting place if you want to investigate, check things out. It's, it's very, it's a very interesting and, and wild area. And the last section, or the last river section I'm going to talk about is the French River. The French River is way up near, as we call it, the backpack. So it's, it's, it's up north uh, on the, of Georgian Bay. And uh, it's, this is a, what is called Kenna's Heritage Route. It's uh, one of them. So there's this, provincial park, French River Provincial Park. It's a large waterway. There's, it's significant. There's about 110 kilometers of waters. It spans from all the way from Lake, Lake Nipissing and down into Georgian Bay. There's about 230 or so backcountry campsites in this area. And it's very popular. And uh, as long as I've been in Ontario, I've heard people talk about the French River for, for canoeing and camping. It's very popular. So it's, you're, you're not going to be put out for you're in a remote area. This is very popular. It's very well-trodden. You're going to come across a lot of people. And it, it's a it's very beautiful area.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people that have gone through the French River Provincial Park. And everybody, it, it's... I've, I've never heard a bad thing about it.
1: No, it's a beautiful area.
0: But if you're talking Provincial Parks up that way, there's two... Um, there's the Massasauga Provincial Park, which is just south of Perry Sound. It's uh, all, it, it's a unique park because it's water access only. You can't drive into it or hike into it, water access only. So it's perfect for, for paddle sports. It's also home of the Massasauga Rattlesnake.
1: Yes, you'll find the Massasauga Rattler throughout large areas of Ontario. I've seen them as far over as Peterborough. they They're spread far and wide, but the highest concentration here is in this park area.
0: Yeah, it's a protected sanctuary for them. So um yeah, so it's it's all interior um water access only. And the other one that's there that that's huge is Killarney. If you're into into the canoe tripping, especially, Killarney Provincial Park is massively popular. Um like you can't get if you're not quick enough, you're not getting a reservation to get in <laughs> Exactly. There, right? I mean, they, they limit the number of people that go, go in. There's only 126 campsites in the entire park. Um, I know Jeff's map, but uh, Jeff has uh, done mapping of the whole Killarney Park yeah, too. Yeah. Um, sorry, there's 170 interior sites for paddlers and backpackers, and 126 at the main campgrounds. Uh, and one of the big things to do is you can paddle to... Um, a trail base and then hike to Silver Peak to the summit and enjoy a view from the highest point in Killarney Park. And yeah, Killarney, again, like French River, never heard a bad thing about it. Yeah. Uh, so
1: I'm going to talk about two island or islandy areas within Georgian Bay that are popular destinations. Uh, one of them is the uh, Georgian Bay Islands National Park. So this one here and I'll stress, it's perfect for experienced kayakers. It's, uh, the weather can change quickly here. So you have to be aware of your surroundings and looking forward into your day, how far you get away from your campsite. So the weather does change typically quickly and because of the size of Georgian Bay, things can get pretty severe. But, you know, on any given day in the summer, you're pretty much guaranteed decent weather. But just a warning, right? So, uh, the... Georgian Bay Islands National Park, you begin your journey at around Honey Harbor. And there's about 59 decent islands that make up this ring of uh, Georgia Bay Park. Uh, Beausoleil Island is the biggest one in the area. Uh, There's a lot of, all the campsites, the services range from primitive to limited uh, for access and for campsite. There's a lot of boat traffic. So don't be surprised by that. It's a very popular area. And uh, again, it's suitable for more experienced kayakers. And I say kayakers, but you know, if you're a paddleboarder, if you're a canoeer, it's it's very popular. And you could easily just go here without a boat. And there are ta- water taxis that can leave from the Honey Harbor and will take you out out to islands or for camping into the campsites and whatnot. The other popular island destination within Georgia Bay is Georgian Bay's Thirty Thousand Islands. This is located near Perry Sound. And there, there, it says the 30,000 islands, there's a lot of islands in this, in this location. If you pull up Google maps and you look at Perry Sound area, it's just near Perry Sound and it's just dotted with, with, well, 30,000 islands. It's a, uh, this is a very beautiful area. If you're into photography, if you're into kayaking, canoeing, it's a great destination to, to get to and enjoy the Georgian Bay experience.
0: Yeah, you know what? I think uh, if, if you're looking for somewhere new this year, check out Georgian Bay. There's a lot of, of beautiful scenery, a lot of Canadian Shield, a lot of rock, and so much exploring to do. Check out Google Maps and just just look and start, start following it around and you'll see like the French River and you'll see Tobermory and the Bruce Peninsula National Parks and, and the rivers you can get out of there. And it's definitely, definitely worth a visit. You've been listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley.
1: And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.